Hello and welcome to session 11 of You Matter. Welcome back. In this session, I am talking to the wonderful physiotherapist and business owner, Heather McClellan. Heather is director of a really exciting forward-thinking company called Design to Move. And we're going to talk a lot in this episode about the formation of that company, the reasons behind it. And it's all on the backdrop of the concept of career transition. So many of you listening, I know, go through periods in your careers, because you tell me quite regularly, of thinking, is this the right thing for me? Is this what I want to do for the next X number of years? And there are a lot of thoughts and emotions around that that concept of transitioning your career. And through Heather's story, we managed to touch on an awful lot of the, the fears and the worries and concerns which might limit people, but also Heather's story is so wonderfully inspiring that that uh, I think I think it helps to. I think Heather does a great job of showing that actually there are reasons why you you seek out these opportunities, and there's so much joy in seeing them through. And I, I know you're going to love listening to Heather speak. She's she's a wonderful speaker and she has a wonderful story to tell. So sit back and enjoy hearing that story. I'll be back at the end of the session. Hello. So I am thrilled to have with me on this session, Heather McClellan. Heather is a physiotherapist. She is director of an absolutely fabulous company, her own company called Design to Move. And Design to Move provide functional rehab for complex trauma clients. And Heather has just told me their fantastic new mission statement. Um, So they've created this wonderful line, moving you towards fulfilling possibilities. And Heather says that's what they want for clients and uh, people who work for Design to Move as well. So it's an all-encompassing statement. Now, I I think I heard, yes, I definitely heard Heather speak with Jack Chu uh, before I met her. And I was so interested and intrigued and impressed with her story that I thought, oh, I need to talk to this woman. And then we had one of those quick conversations, which I think ended up being about two hours the first time. We found lots of things in common. And actually, the story that um, Heather shared with Jack on that occasion was a bit of a health story. And we'll touch on that today. But the part of Heather's story that I am particularly going to um, discuss with her today is around career transition. And that's quite topical for me. It's something that I've been working with a lot with coaching clients. And it's a question that keeps coming up. And I think it's something that people listening to you matter are really resonating with. So so Heather is the absolute ideal guest to talk to about that. So Heather, thank you so much for agreeing to come on this episode of You Matter. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Excited to speak to you. <laughs> thank you. And Heather, so we had a little chat beforehand, didn't we? And we were trying to work out where to where to start this story, if you like. And there are so many points in your history where we could start. But um, Heather was telling me about a period about 20 years into her career where she started to think about some kind of change. And I think anybody that's been through this process uh, questioning you, am I on the right path? 
will agree with the fact that there's usually some kind of situational catalyst that just moves you from vaguely wondering if you need to change to getting you into into action. And Heather, if you're happy to start there, could you give us a little bit of background as to what was your catalyst? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so I qualified uh, way back when in 95 and I'd wanted to be a physio for a very, very long time before that. So kind of died in the wool, got it printed through me, physio. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd been working in, in various sectors over the years. And some will know my background in occupational health. And I was um, I was in an occupational health job at the time when this happened. Um, and, you know, I've been cracking on like you do uh, but I found myself involved in a in a tribunal process for the first time and um, it, it just made me question on so many levels why I was doing what I was doing uh, not least because the process was incredibly stressful uh, to be involved with um, but also how I find myself um, with people who weren't really interested in in getting better potentially in some cases and I have to say that is rare but this was one of those um potential situations and it's always difficult to understand um, where the other party's coming from but it really made me sit down and go okay is this what I want to do for another 20 years you know Mm. I've got another 20 years at least probably to keep working and reflecting on the previous 20 years and and what were my options looking into the future that I just thought this this is not is not what I want and it wasn't particularly that I'm not expecting to be involved in that situation on a regular Mm. basis but the I was basically a musculoskeletal side of things, you know, quick turnarounds, short appointments. Um, I'd done quite a lot of service development, which I really enjoy. And I wasn't actually being, you know, the, the broader context was I wasn't give, being given the opportunity to continue doing that. So I literally was being told, well, you just got to carry on doing what you're doing. We don't want you to do anything else. Um, and then this situation, I guess, was the catalyst that made me sit down and go, oh, where is this going? Um, mm. Because I don't want to be sat here doing the same thing for another 20 years I've also always done quite a bit of private practice work I had my own private practice for a short while and um, there's nothing wrong with private practice let me just say that but equally (laughs) I'd also realized that that wasn't for me either Um, normal clinic private practice and it was okay but again I didn't see myself being able to do that or wanting to do that for another 20 years Mm. so um Yeah, so I literally, as we've just been saying, uh, you asked a question about how I was designed to move birthed, <laughs> and it was birthed on the living room floor. <laughs> and it was it was a case of getting a very big, some big sheets of paper. You know how you sometimes get sent those free calendars? Oh, so yeah. I'd been sent, sent one of those big pads of, of, with calendar on one side, it was A3, and blank on the other side, and I just turned that over, got my pens out, and I just dumped my brain contents onto it well what do I enjoy doing what am I good at what skills have I got what knowledge have I got and then just sat there and kind of looked at it went okay what can I do with all this that will enable me to carry on being a physio and enable me to carry on being engaged with my work Mm. for the rest of my days in a way that it can evolve I can evolve it can evolve with me and what have you and I was only thinking about myself I wasn't interested in anybody else this was how I how can I find a way forward so that mm. that was the birthing of of what now exists <laughs> and how did it feel when you when you saw that sort of laid out in front of you what you could do I imagine a, a range of emotions were <laughs> <in> that moment. <laughs> yeah and I actually I'm sure we'll get to some of this uh, with some of your potentially your later questions is that 
I, you know, one thing was struck me. I had a lot of knowledge and a lot of skills. I'd, I'd you know, done such a lot of CPD and training over the years, as I'm sure many of our colleagues have. You know, you could, but in the days where you literally wrote a CPD log of all the courses you'd done, I got pages and pages and pages of things I'd attended and things I'd learned. So practical skills were there. Mm. Knowledge was there. Different sectors was there. I loved being outdoors. That was a critical part of what of what Design to Move has become. Um, right. I wanted to incorporate being able to be outdoors with people because I like being outdoors. I found it good for my health, physical health, mental health, emotional health, um, and um, so yeah, that was the first thing that struck me. There, by the time I finished, there was a huge amount there, mm. you know, which is really positive. But then it was well what can you actually earn money for and and actually there are some limitations around that uh within culture's expectations of what physiotherapy is with our own expectations of what it is um so that was probably the next challenge but do do you i hear this quite a lot when people bring this challenge to me that we get quite um what's the word quite attached to the idea that we get paid when we give half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour of our time being a physiotherapist. And there's this kind of mental block as to how and why people would pay us to work in any other way. And it mm. sounds like you were going through your own version of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'd say that's taken that, that certainly wasn't solved on that piece of paper. That's taken a long time to solve and it's still not, not solved as we haven't solved it as a profession, have we? Um, I think that is interesting because, you know, one of my, I believe one of my greatest strengths is the ability to look at a service and, and improve service design and strategy and things like that. And that's not something that's rewarded in itself. Mm. You know, it's only the delivery of it on a kind of hourly rate basis. So I had to look at that and be realistic about creating something that could um, create value in the market that people would want to pay for and what market mm. that might be. And um <laughs> Another analogy that um, has been used, um, not always favourably at me, but I turned it to my advantage, was um, a, a quote about the fact that, you know, what my problem is, is that I want to deliver a Rolls Royce and that okay. most people don't want a Rolls Royce. Most people just want a, a Ford Focus or whatever, <laughs> whatever that, you know, the mainstream car at the time is. Yeah. And I sat there and I thought, well, yeah, I can see that perspective. Um, <laughs> but people still buy Rolls Royces. Mm. So instead of telling me not to create a Rolls Royce, I'm going to go and find the people, organisations that want to pay good money for high quality care for clients that really need it. So and that was a key point. <laughs> yeah. And how at that stage did you, how did you know it was a Rolls Royce that you had just um described on your piece of paper how did it differ from the board oh, because I tried to take the you know the, the box that we put ourselves in and we we kind of pull the lid down on ourselves and they this this is the way physiotherapy is done in the mm. UK um for MSK <clears throat> and it's done in this way in 30 minute 40 minute if you're lucky 20 minutes if you're not chunks mm. back to back I just don't want to do that <laughs> I just find that exhausting and I really value you know the the relationship and the rapport that you build with a client and I, I would already by that time be moving into really chronic pain management and believe strongly that you need more time than that to build a good relationship and therefore have effective outcomes so one, I wanted something where the client could have the level of service they needed 
within obviously still within limits because we've all got limits but the clinician would get the opportunity to use all the skills they've got mm. and to select the right skills because again I looked at all this list of all this training I've done mm. when am I gonna when am I getting the opportunity to actually use some of those skills so that was a frustration so I wanted to bring together the ability for the client to benefit from all the skills that that clinician had worked so hard to gain and that meant a service that was outside of the norm yeah and therefore was not was not going to be paid for within the norm either mm. um, which of course in itself I kind of set myself up for a bit of a challenge there but um, I was going to say I mean now designed to move I'm sure lots of people listening have heard of um heard of your business now because it's a, a huge venture and you know almost like a, a flagship company for doing things <laughs> differently um but you know I, I know that that hasn't been a always straightforward journey so you said from from your living room carpet or on your living room carpet you were designing something for yourself yes. what I hear is you know to start with you had to deliver that personally and see whether there was a market for it yes. um so uh, what sort of hurdles have you had to overcome at various stages and moments you know, go right from the living room floor? Because I imagine people listening that are thinking about transition, there's all the kind yeah. of what ifs and objections going on in their head. Yeah. And also, I'm sure we'll come back to it, but I definitely won't, don't, you know, I can't tell people that it's been easy sailing around demonstrating our value. We'll come back to how we do that. But yeah. Um, and, and it's certainly not straightforward and it never has been because we're up against huge preconceptions about what physio or therapy is. Um, so that that's still an issue to this day, but um, <clears throat> we, we kind of tackle it better. So, yeah, I mean, effectively, um, so one of the other catalysts actually that happened just similar around that time, we actually, myself and my colleague, Jane, who, who now works with me in Design to Move as well, we'd actually, uh, the service that we were running in, in the NHS won two national awards. So one was a CSP award for... Um, promoting physical activities and healthy lifestyles mm. and the other one was an nhs um rehabilitation for excellence award mm. so we knew that what we were doing within that service was good practice and we were getting yeah. great outcomes we were measuring outcomes so <clears throat> when i left there uh, that's the kind of basis from which I started. Well, what I'm doing has been working there. How can I transfer that? One of the things I do love doing, I love learning. And I love learning by looking at other, other industries, other sectors, might be health-related, might not be health-related, and, and transferring that over. So that how can I take what's worked well where mm. and put it into a different context? So that was where that started. So, yes, you're right. I started with seeing an occasional case of this type so these are complex trauma clients who've been badly injured and are um, going through a claim situation a personal injury claim so I just started taking on the occasional one alongside other work I was doing um, and I, I kind of I had other work so this was 2014 I left that NHS role but I carried on working in other people's practices things like that I had a little bit of my own private practice still going on so literally I just tested the water with these occasional cases um and then I started getting you know the odd extra referral so I started asking friends to take a case or not so Jane was most local to me mm. I'd started working with a business coach um as well because the, yes and it's really important to say I had this challenge of okay well 
this a plan was only ever for me (laughs) very selfish it was just like how can I keep working for the next however many years I've got to keep working um I don't want to know about employing other people, having other people working with me, for me. That all just sounds too much. It's too complicated. I don't know how to do it. I'm not interested. Mm. And this business coach said to me, um, who I still work with to this day, um, that's all great, Heather, but what are you going to do when someone rings you, they've heard about your service, they've got a client that's completely out of your area, you can't cover it yourself. What are you going to do? Are you just going to turn it away? turn that person away that person who needs help <laughs> and at the time I was like yes I am <laughs> I don't want to know I don't want to know obviously uh, over time I did start to realize that we had a customer um probably still quite early days I had a customer say that kind of those things to me Heather want to refer this client to you I don't mind if it's not you I believe in what you do I believe in your system what you've created and if you send me a clinician I trust that that clinician will do a good job did your business coach plant that I don't think so no yeah I don't think so but it was it was one of those oh my goodness and of course that is also quite interesting because it takes it away from you Mm. but also you realize it's not dependent on you and of course that can have a little bit of an impact on your self-worth yeah. <laughs> so that I suppose was the beginning of the realization that people uh, were going to trust the system that I'd created mm. it yeah and so that from probably from around there somewhere and I'm looking I've got some notes over here I reckon it was 2000 between 2016 2018 started getting other people to help and I went to people I knew and again my my business coach was really good he said you only need to ask people to do work for you who you like and trust yeah you get to choose you get to choose you know it's not like being in an employed job where your new colleague turns up day one and you may not have had any influence over that and you don't know them at all um so that made it as safe as it could be so we started Mm. doing that everyone all our clinicians um, are still associates, they're self-employed associates. So it gives a lot of flexibility to us and to them. Um, but that meant that we could start expanding. So, so that was around that time. Um, Jane also then came and um, she left her that NHS role as well and came and worked, not entirely full-time for me, but mm. considerable more hours clinically and operationally. Um, 2018, <clears throat> we just, the thing started growing (laughs) started growing to the point where I left any other work that I was doing so I went entirely 100% designed to move um Jack uh Chu that we all know very well uh, actually started working with design to move in spring 2018 as part of our leadership team to uh, improve our kind of marketing and, and those sides of things and then um we have another team member now called Lindsay. Um, she joined us also in 2018 as a sort of business customer relationship person. So she's not clinical, but um, she's got some amazing insights and experience into the sector. So that was that was 2018. Um, we were really, you know, basically planning growth. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I, I stopped everything else, went fully self-employed started putting systems in place for recruiting gdpr all those sorts of things Mm. um and that's where we were headed until 2019 when i was quite ill which brings us up to to the the podcast Mm. that i did with jack and yeah you can go into a bit more of that if you wish (laughs) yeah well i mean it sounds yeah 
Ooh, timing, eh? Yeah, you were really flying <laughs> then by the sound of it and really in that exciting growth phase where you realise you've got something people want, you've got people who want to work with you. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah, I mean, by all means, um, Heather, as, as deeply or otherwise as you want to go into that for people that haven't heard you speak previously about this, yeah, by all means, give people yeah. a tell well, about think- that. You know, 2019, we were really moving into this growth, putting business systems and foundations in place. Mm -hmm. So from a personal point of view, I was really enjoying kind of building those foundations and learning more about business. And, you know, how do we make this business robust in a way that it can continue to grow and help more clients? Um, And that I found fulfilling, you know, Mm -hmm. free to evolve this as I wanted. And we've, we've talked about vehicle archetypes. I upgraded from my bicycle for one <laughs> you know, to a tandem to by this time I had a little a little car, uh, you know, which seated four of us plus associates as needed. <laughs> and um, so that's kind of where we were at. And we had put in some good foundations and but I'd been starting to struggle with some headaches um, and they were being investigated. They'd started in the... Um, December so it's, it's actually almost in fact it's tomorrow it's three years tomorrow that I started getting these symptoms and uh by the middle of 2019 I'd finally got some investigations and um been diagnosed as having had a rare type of stroke mm-hmm. um so that was a complete shock I was still walking functioning working I was working although in a limited capacity because of the symptoms and uh, so that diagnosis came as a shock and then I had another diagnosis a few weeks later that explained why it had happened. And, and it just kept going. Self-employed, that one of the downsides of being self-employed is, you know, it wasn't an option just to to take time out, particularly. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but um, I, I tried to keep going. Um, and as the year went on, I got progressively more and more fatigued and tired. And I just, I was reducing my hours kind of week after week by the middle of 2019 and going, I don't know know how I'm going to keep going. I've got to try and keep going. And I eventually saw a consultant neurologist five months after, three or four months after diagnosis. And um, about four months after the diagnosis, my first outpatient neuro appointment with this consultant. And I just concluded that morning that I really was going to have to take a week off. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah I'll, I'll try not to over, go over too much of stuff I've said before but it, I sat in that meeting and that that consultation and she said Heather you need to take time off and you need to take at least a month to six weeks and she just and she said can you do that and I just went um I, I don't know and I sat there in that moment and went to myself well it's my business so it's my choice if I can take time off or not. So here's the crux of I'm self-employed. Can I afford to take four to six weeks out? But can I afford not to? Because I feel so awful. Can I afford not to? I thought, well, I don't have to go and ask permission from anyone else. I don't have to go and get a sick note. Um, I don't have to. I just have to talk to my colleagues, um, by which time... Um, so uh, we, we had a really strong little team by then um and so this year yeah, this was September 19 and so actually what happened was I contacted them and said the consultant said this 
I think I did need her permission to do it. I needed to be told that I was ill enough to justify taking time off. (laughs) Um, And within three days, I delegated all my work and stopped. Um, And I took a complete month off. And then I did. I started a very gentle phased return for another couple of weeks and then started building it up. So what was interesting about that experience was that because we'd put a lot of work into getting the systems and the foundations right, and because we'd worked really well as a team, we've got to know each other really well, I was able to do it. And I knew that, I mean, I trusted them completely. I was also so, so exhausted that I don't know that I could have kept going for another day or two. Um, so took some time off. Came back to work just before Christmas on a phased return to work plan. Was making a nice steady gain on the return to work plan up until March 2020. So, yeah. So I was able, because I was self-employed, I was able to take the time out that I needed to. And the business was stable enough for me to do that. Mm. And that has been... And even even through COVID, uh, you know, I have uh, obviously my return to work plan went completely out the window um, Mm -hmm. for quite some time. But, uh, you know, I've been able to flex things around to keep the business running and to keep myself running. (laughs) Mm. It's really interesting. I think um, a few business owners, certainly I would um, reflect on that, that you were your situation was obviously very personal with your illness and not with COVID but um, you had basically built a business that could survive a disaster that you didn't know you were planning for um yeah and that's quite interesting because we um we've worked one of the things that we did to give a little plug here for um sandra and sarah Mm. at hcpg we were working with them to um get our clinical audit standards in place and we'd started working with them during 2019 and um you know all policies processes and all those sorts of things and i think it was probably early 2020 we were in the throes of the beginning of covid and we were talking about having um sort of uh it's not contingency planning so much as as kind of disaster planning disaster planning yeah and i was just like oh well we've we've kind of done it (laughs) we've kind of worked through it we've Mm. worked through the disaster of a team member being seriously ill and having to take time out and now we are rolling with dealing with a global pandemic yeah that, that none of us could have predicted um so we did that we did it on the move designed to move and i think that's a really important um message i think um when you were talking about moving from the living room carpet and, and you're going and still working for other people and the fact that the other people working for you were for a while still working for other people a lot of these sort of career transitions I think through for obvious reasons of financial um implications I think they start as for want of a better term side hustles don't they um so yeah that, it we're not well, some people might be but my experience is that not many people are in a position to just completely throw everything up in the air give up their job make make themselves have no income whatsoever and then start something totally new um but these you know you're a brilliant example of even when you weren't sure whether it was how big it was going to be whether it was even going to be successful your natural entrepreneurial and business-minded spirit was starting to build 
um, the security and the foundations alongside all the excitement and the, the joy of something new, which I think is a really good message to people. Um, I yeah. mean, business coaches talk don't they, about behaving like a, the business you want to be rather than the one you are. Um, and I think what you've described is a really good example of that, not that you knew it was going to be tested to its limit quite as much as it was. No, and I wish it wasn't hadn't been tested as, as early really in the business, you know, it's still a relatively young business, but, it, you know, we are through the other end at the moment. We're, we're the market that we're in isn't out of the woods. We're not out of the woods of it all, obviously, and we're, none of us are out of the woods as far as COVID itself is concerned. But um, yeah, you know, we've done a lot of foundational work, and we've actually managed, albeit a lot slower, to do a lot of foundational work during that time as well. Because obviously, it's, we've had to shore up things that we didn't no we needed mm. um i just wanted to touch on the side hustle thing as well because i've i've been involved with a lot of business coaching which is not healthcare related um been receiving coaching and it's not healthcare background and i think one thing for us to remember as healthcare professionals listening to this is that actually we are in quite a unique position that we can do this as side hustles mm. you can test the water you can try self-employed work or, or do something on the side and there are many job roles out there and people out there who can't do that you can't yeah. just go and start a side hustle and do a bit of private work and reduce your hours you know you can't go from mm-hmm. five days to four days to three days to locum work to someone else's private practice to doing your own thing over a space of time some people mm-hmm. do have to make that big big jump that says i'm stopping this and i'm starting yeah. that and i'm going to irreversible decision yeah so i do think you know as a as professionals um, whether we're physios or another kind of therapist that that is quite a an advantage that we have mm. yeah and you're absolutely right to sell that as a positive no I, I think so you know that sometimes we overlook it yes it's challenging it's always challenging and it's risky um but it's not half as risky as some other people do so it all depends on your own mm. <laughs> threshold I guess um for, for what you do so uh, yeah so then that's, that's kind of takes us up to there yeah I've got a sorry to interrupt there. I've got a coaching tool that kind of fits with what you were just saying. It's called the um, Indecision Roundabout, um, and I, I didn't design it. It's designed by the coaching organisation I trained with, one of many. But um, the idea is that you can often find yourself stuck on roundabouts. And I always think if anybody knows the Headington Roundabout in Oxford, it's one of those ones with about seventeen exits, and you never know. Your sat nav doesn't even know which one you're supposed to take. Um, and so metaphorically you find yourself going around round around round around around with various options and you just never take any of them because none have apparently more weight than others and you can get into the mindset that if you go down one you're never going to get back again um but if you use the sat nav analogy the the suggestion the kind of coaching invitation is just to take an exit um you'll be you won't be very far down it if it's the wrong one where your sat nav lady or man tells you to do a u-turn and go back and you will be able to for the reasons you've just said you know, there's always that you would back most videos to be able to make it work yeah and i think if you take that um attitude as well that that failure is as an opportunity to learn yeah <laughs> and you can do it reasonably safely in our world um that, uh, and i do have to say as well i uh, people who may have known me a long time I'm a recovering perfectionist I would rather wait until I've got this nailed before I put it out to the public (laughs) but I've worked out over time that's not gonna that doesn't cut it because it would never be good enough it would never be right it would never be finished and therefore at some point you've got to put your toe in the water test it and try it and then you've got to um 
refine it. So I've got much better at saying, well, to myself, this is a pilot. This is just a test. We're just going to do this. I'm going to see what happens. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work brilliantly because we've got the opportunity to improve it afterwards Mm. and to make that a continual improvement cycle rather than never trying something because I'm not quite ready because I'd never be ready. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's pretty great advice. Sorry, I keep talking about physios, but clinicians in general and this conversation is relevant too. So if there are... Uh, just hedging a bet there might be a few other perfectionist characters out there given the people I've worked with over the years maybe one or two um do you do you find it easier now or is it just as hard and you have a process that you have to go through um when you're when you're trying to work through this realization that something isn't going to be perfect but you have to play on anyway <laughs> no I think I'm I'm I don't have the same issue with it now. I have revised my thinking. So I'm now striving for excellence rather than perfection. So that is about doing the best I can with what we've got, with the information that we've got, the resources we've got right now. Yeah. And using it as a learning process. So, well, what's worked well, what hasn't worked so well? Getting feedback from our customers, you know, the, the funders, the clients, the clinicians, what's going well, what isn't going well, and, and being willing to take that feedback and, and change things. So that actually it takes the pressure off on so many levels mm. um, and seeing it evolve and acknowledging that I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never run a business like this before. There's not another business out there that I can model it off and go, oh, well, we'll just copy that because uh, it's, you know, you can't really do that anyway because it's very much inherently about the people that are running it. Um, and then I know we've talked a lot, you know, using the roundabout metaphor. We've talked a lot about vehicle metaphors. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I forgot I was playing into your vehicle. Yeah, yeah, my vehicle <laughs> metaphors. So I was in my, you know, for my four seater car um, up until 2020. And, um, but yeah, there's really, it's about also changing your vehicle depending on the circumstance and saying, well, if I want to try that route and that different style do I need a different approach do I need a slightly different vehicle what does that look like and, mm. and trying those on so um when we were going through covid um, and actually I've you know so I've got some slides here that I was looking at that I'd use various vehicles for so what we could have done with at the beginning of covid had we known it was coming was a DeLorean where we could just like skip forward or back in time <laughs> <laughs> the truth was it felt more like we had to change to a massive four-wheel drive and yeah. get through the most enormous floodwaters and get over obstacles. So we had no idea how we were going to make it work. Um, but by kind of hunkering down as a team and, and really trusting one another in our little leadership team, we've come out the other side. And, and now we need to, you know, we're in the process of refreshing again and saying, okay, well, we've, we've come out of the other side of that. Um, what do we now need to attend to? What does the future look like? What vehicle do we need to upgrade? And I'm, I'm going towards planes next because wow. really we need to um, <laughs> be moving to a different, different level. We were a, a growing business before COVID. We and the market we're in have been a bit hit very hard. And I know the whole physio market, the whole therapy market's been hit hard. Mm. You can't necessarily keep doing the same things. You know, um, the way we networked and marketed was completely different. And so we've had to change that. You know, we've really had to sit down and review our plans for the future and, and see how those have changed. Um, so do you feel like you've been back on the living room carpet again? Or do you feel like you need to go back to the living room mm-hmm. carpet? We've had a few of those 
well, we haven't actually done that, but yes, yeah, similar similar processes where we've we've really looked at what we're doing and said, are we in the right market? Are we doing the right thing? Are we looking to the right funders? Um, should we be entering other markets over here or over there? We've really looked hard at those. Sure, never think and we've actually come back to the fact of staying very and we're very niche we are very niche now and we but we now feel really confident about being in that niche because we now have this experience um in this area <clears throat> and to to venture into those other places would really be taking our, our eye off the ball of now what we know very well mm. so it's been a useful exercise um trusting your product and trusting the product i mean it, there's no denying it's been fueled like every like everyone's reviews have around fear of what the future holds mm. and are we on the right path because the path is not the same one we left you know two years ago no, it would, that seems like the perfect time to sort of circle back and steer you back to your your comment about um proving your worth and your product to your clients mm. um and it sounds like you've almost reproved it to yourself for yourselves um yeah. does that help with the the marketing and the um the, the the external proof yeah i mean so one of the things that we had been starting to to do um pre-covid and then this was based on our experience in the nhs we always been collecting data okay. outcome measures clinical outcome measures so we've been collecting that but because we've been a very small company with a very small number of clients prior we didn't have a lot of data to go on um and probably 2018 2019 was our first set of really good annual data mm. so we'd collected that and, and we really were planning on going out and telling the world about it and then covid arrived and of course <laughs> a lot of the world disappeared and, the, and anyone who was left was just in a blind spin about everything mm. and we weren't really able to have the same types of conversations about value or future and what we could do because people were just in panic mode. So coming out the other side of it, um, actually what it's enabled us to do is go, what information have we got about what we do? So we've, um, we've got outcome data that's case specific. So we've got case studies. We've got service level data, you know, of those clients we saw that year. These are the sorts of clinical outcomes that we've got. Mm-hmm. And then we've also got, it's also made us look back and go, what is it that we do do differently from a customer point of view? Okay. And I actually have to say one of the most interesting realizations as a clinician has been that probably equally, dare I say, more importantly than the clinical work <laughs> is the customer service that we give to the customer that we work with. So the customer is not the same as the client. The customer is the person who refers the client to us. Okay. And making their life easier and enabling them to understand and navigate our rehabilitation services is probably as important as having the right clinical processes in place. Because if they trust and understand what we do, they will trust that we will look after the clinical side and that their client will be looked after. Mm-hmm. So actually enabling and making their lives easier, especially when they've been under a lot of stress during covid has really come through as to one of the key aspects of the business going forward. And that was quite a thing for yeah. a clinician, for me, uh, to go, okay. <laughs> yeah, we've got what does it mean to you outcomes. in that? 
Oh, I guess um, I guess that's about understanding business, and it's not all about the clinical outcomes. <laughs> um, having to kind of come out of your clinical blinkered area, mm. going, I can get the best outcomes in the world, but if we don't communicate with the customer, they're not going to understand what we're doing or why mm. we do it, and we're not making their lives any easier. And they need to, we need to have a good working relationship with them in order for them to want to use our service again. Yeah. So there's that, you know, from a business point of view, running a business is it's as at least half the stuff that's not clinical. <laughs> so in your in your personal experience in this career transition process, then have you is it called has it enabled you to change what you value about yourself? I mean, do you see yourself still primarily as a clinician or something else? <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, over time that has changed in that what I think now is that I've had to do obviously a lot of learning about running a business. I've had to do quite a lot of learning about this sector. I'm still learning about this sector. It's, it's massive. Um, there's a lot I still don't understand. And uh, understanding that my role, and as even right back to the very beginning of my career, what I've always done is set services up and measure outcomes and then prove their worth. So yeah. in occupational health, I had to sit in front of a health and safety director and say why physiotherapy was worth having in a company because it saved money and it got people back to work. Mm. You know, he wasn't interested if our outcome measure was better by 10 points. He just wanted to know if people were back at work or not. Yeah. So <clears throat> actually getting to a point where I recognise my main contribution to the business as being the strategic thinker being the person who has designed the services and then looks forward at, well, what services does the industry want in, from, a, from a clinical point of view? And I guess actually keeping that eye on the balance between, well, where's the clinical excellence? How We need to keep the clinical excellence, keep the standards, the HCPC standards, CSP standards, those sorts of things, but also make sure this is actually what serves the, the market and the customer and the client. And you've got all these different layers of stakeholders mm. Um and I borrow actually from Andrew Walton at Connect, but you know, having multiple stakeholders, that's absolutely the case. You know, we've got the clinician as a stakeholder, we've got the client as a case, as a as a stakeholder, we've got the case manager who refers them, then we've got an insurer and a solicitor. Um, so we've got a whole number of people. Mm, that, yeah, and and then there's other therapists involved in the extended teams as well. Um, and I, I kind of like that. I do like that level of complexity and, and you know, trying to get all the variables mm. working well, working well together. And so, yes, it, it has been um, just fairly recently that uh, I, I have been seeing clients on and off. I've obviously seen less since I was ill from a practical point of view and managing my own symptoms. Um, but I have reached the point where really I see design to move as being my primary client okay <laughs> it's my role to ensure that the business future i i'm creating the foundations for a strong business future and putting the things in place in the same way that you might look at somebody who's you know been injured and say well what are the basic foundations that they need mm. to um in order to regain their function to deliver what it is they're going to deliver whether that's playing football with their family or going into work in the environment that they need to do it and you know the environment the market that we're working in as a business so and I'm, I know some people listening as well will know Joanne Elphinstone very well and mm. she uses this holistic functional model when looking at um, 
client rehab. And absolutely, that can be transferred into how to build and run a business, I think. So for me, that's like looking at, at, at Design to Move. Uh, we've, we've had a bad dose of COVID. <laughs> the business is, you know, still trying to get back on its feet after having its own COVID. But what do we need to put in place? We've got these foundations. We've got the people involved. These are the functions. These are the, the basics that we need to get right in terms of clinical compliance. Then this is the way we need to interact with our customers. This is the way the market functions. The market itself has been badly hit by COVID. So our future is dependent on things way beyond us as well. Mm. Um, so what's happening in the personal injury market in the whole of the UK at the moment and the insurance markets and things like that. So actually for me, that's that's where I'm at. That The number one client, well, if, Get back to self-care here. Number one rehab client is still me. I'm still working through managing my own health and trying to do that in a way that's viable for me and um, for the business uh, and balanced. And then number two client is the business and ensuring mm. that the business can um, <laughs> survive the, the next step and then grow into the future to be able to do more of what we're doing so you can I've moved well beyond that that argument with my business coach about no I'm never seeing anybody else and no we're never going to have any associates <laughs> because <laughs> I did get to that point of going okay this this really works for people we need to find a way to um, build it so that we can have more clinicians um, which means we can serve more clients that need this kind of help and, and kind of match up the clinicians who've got these great skills and spent all this time and money learning these great skills with clients where they can really put them into motion and see amazing results. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, who doesn't, who doesn't want to do that? And when push comes to shove, <laughs> you know, who doesn't want to do that? So yeah, so that's the, the trajectory that we're on now. And my, my position has moved from being an individual clinician myself uh, to very recently making a, a decision that I probably will not take on any private or mm. individual clients uh, again, because my role is the future of the business, making sure that what we've built so far, which has taken blood, sweat and tears on every level, <laughs> mm. that, we, that we don't lose that and that we continue. Yeah, no, I, I congratulate you on that, Helen, because I know it's not an easy decision um, and it's a transition <laughs> I've been through and, and found tricksy and it takes takes time. I think you, it's a decision you sometimes have to make and make again and make again. Um, but you, you, the purpose of You Matter and, and me having general is, as you know, to, to focus on clinician well-being. And I think you've described not in direct terms, but you've you've made a lovely nod on various parts in various parts of this conversation to self-care as a business owner. Um, yes. And I think I mean you, you might want to say it more overtly, some of the, the ways in which in your along the way you've had to address that. Obviously, your um your stroke gave you a very clear indication that you had to take some radical self-care. Yes. But if people listening are thinking about some kind of career transition, what are the sort of general tips or things you might suggest they look out for as they go through this this change, really, sort of out of the, the, the well-known tram lines of where they've been perhaps up until now? Yeah, I think um, one thing that's always been important to me, but really, I guess, got totally hammered home by being ill was making sure that the time I'm working is time I want to be. I thought, well, I'm, I'm doing something I want to do and I'm actually mm. enjoying it. 
rather than doing it because somebody else's expectations or somebody else's needs or, or gaining somebody else's approval. Mm. And to it's almost like, well, you've got an even more finite resource. How are you going to use it? I've got less hours available to me than I had before. You know, if I got really exhausted or stressed, I could just push through before. I can't do that anymore. I, I just can't. Even if I wanted to, I can't do it. Yeah. It's like somebody unplugs me and I'm, <laughs> I'm gone and I'm down mm. and I can't do anything productive. Um, it's getting better, but it's still there and I, it may never go away. And it's one of those things that actually I kind of think maybe it's probably a good thing if it never goes away again, because it always makes me come back to, you know, I have to choose how to spend my time. I've got to spend it wisely. I've got to make sure it's as productive as is possible. Therefore, being more selective about what I do do and what I don't do. And that's one of the things about not treating patients anymore. Yeah. As much as I love doing it, now to spend time treating one of our clients, that would probably equate to a full day out of my diary. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, in the current circumstances, I can't afford to take a full day out of my diary if that's time I should be spending on business planning or development. So I've got more selective, but based on the fact that I've really kept checking in on my purpose, and I'm sure you do this a lot with your, that's well, what am I here to do? What's my strength? What am I adding to the business that is unique? And that is really still around leadership and strategic development. And that's therefore my role. Um, So that's made it just more focused. And then... (laughs) rest I have to plan in rest I have to plan it in better I have to give myself more more time more buffers Mm. than I would have done before and you know again it's easy to say well we probably should all be doing that anyway and it took this to give me a boot up the backside and say I need to do it yes I mean whilst thankfully not many people will be put in such extreme situations that require them to take the steps you've had that you everything you've described I think is absolutely you know gold standard way to behave to look after yourself <laughs> as you develop a business um, yeah and I mean, the other thing I've got down, down here is around that agility flexibility and responsiveness which is as, as a business and done and as individuals um I find it incredibly frustrating you know I like certainty like the next person I want to know what's going to happen next and I'd like my diary not to change and I find it really disruptive if I've got my week planned out and then it all changes and it all turns upside down I've had to get much more accepting of that I can't Mm. control for it if something goes wrong and it tires me out as a result I simply just have to accept that I've got to bump stuff along or I can't get it done or I just have to apologize that I've not done whatever I said I would do for somebody else instead of either trying to kill myself to get it done or feeling really 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 bad Mm. about it um so yeah much more acceptance of myself than I probably had before and I hear such freedom in that in contrast to the constriction that perfectionism puts upon us you know, your your ability to flex and change and accept, as you say, um, just the word freedom just comes at me loud and clear when Absolutely. I hear you. That. Yeah, it's a big it's a big word for me that one. Yeah. And, um, again, we, we've touched on the the vehicle stuff, but just to come back to that, the business coach has always talked about design to move and any business for that matter. Uh, he has a very purpose focused coaching approach that being the vehicle for your future. So rather than saying I'm running a business because I want to run a business, mm. 
you're running a business because there's a certain thing that you want to do with your life, a certain mm-hmm. purpose that you have, and you need a vehicle to get you there. And for some people, that vehicle may well be an employed role within the NHS or within a large company or within someone yeah. else's private practice. And everybody's vehicle choice is different. But for mine, for me, you know, Design to Move has given me the freedom to move and evolve. And again, that's one of the reasons that for the name is about evolving forward, mm-hmm. keeping that open to the possibilities of what that could be in the future, not boxing it in. And, and it's about um keeping the vehicle fluid flexible agile so that it can be the vehicle for me but also now for an extended team mm. you know it's also the vehicle for my other leadership team members it's it's a, a part-time vehicle for some of our associates um and that that gives it a very different feel to saying I've got, I've got to do this because it's a business and yes. i've got to you know report into somebody else about my kpis we do have kpis we do do all that stuff <laughs> so you don't have to prove to me <laughs> but the spirit of it is is very different is it you know yeah. what are we trying to do here who are we trying to serve what what are we here to, to make sure we're really working all of us in our own not on our own but working to the best of our given abilities and talents we complement each other beautifully yes so that i'm freed up to do what i'm good at and the others are freed up to do what they're good at. And between and us, I, that makes an amazing team. It sounds amazing. And I'm sure people listening will be thinking the same. And I also know, Heather, that you would like to add a few more sidecars and little vehicles to your fleet. Um, <laughs> yes. So we're going we're to push this analogy right to the extreme. <laughs> um, so what would you like to um, invite people to do? If Because I know you're, you're looking to recruit some more members to your wonderful team. What yeah. would you like to invite people to do? Yeah, so we um, we are constantly evolving and growing. We have a nationwide, all across the UK team now, but we do have gaps in that team. Um, and, and the way our team is, is that um, associates are free to take one case or four cases or none, none cases if, they, mm-hmm. if their circumstances so dictate. So we're always on the lookout for people who would like to work with us as associates. Um, all our associates are self-employed with us, so they can do it alongside other roles. And most of our associates either work in the NHS uh, work for some of the big big um, physio organizations out there some of them have their own private practices but if you would like if they would like uh, as a clinician if you feel you've got all these skills and you don't often have the opportunity to use it but you would really like to get your teeth into working with some complex injury clients and we're talking about clients who have multiple sites of injuries <laughs> possibly amputees uh, possibly some associated brain injuries they've suffered a lot of trauma uh, so there's psychosocial factors involved. If you know, if you want the opportunity to really, uh, you know, work with people um, who are challenging, but you can get great outcomes with, then get in touch because we would love to hear from you. Um, we have a little. You can go to our website, which is designtomove.co.uk, and we have a join our team tab. Have a look in there at our person specification, um, and we do have an, an interview and obviously a recruitment process, but. Um, you know, it allows you to have something, a little bit of a side hustle, a little bit of extra money, but also to try something that you wouldn't necessarily want to go out and try on your own. Um, mm. And obviously we take care of all the getting the referrals in, dealing with all the paperwork. Um, we don't do the paperwork for you. Still got to do all that. But <laughs> we deal with all the customer um, relationships and those sorts of things. And as the company grows, there's also opportunities to get more involved. So we've had one of our team members um 
was our key project leader for our clinical audit project. Mm. Um, we have other team members getting involved in um, our clinical operations. So that includes peer uh, reviewing of reports and clinical supervision. We have CPD sessions every month. We have one of our, our team is involved in coordinating all of that. Um, and it's a fascinating world. There's still mm. loads more to learn and you can just learn a whole heap more. No, I'd really encourage anybody listening who is thinking about this to get in touch because I know I've had some experience of knowing how Heather's systems work and I would say Heather's obviously got her own uh, person spec as she's just said but I know from the way Heather works that she whoever works for her um, sorry talking about you in the third person here Heather but um, (laughs) she really wants to know that person inside out and and I wouldn't mind betting that Heather will help you uncover some some unique skills and areas of you that you haven't even discovered yet and what's more give you the opportunity to develop them which I I think is just I love that um and I'm well we want every person that works with us you know that we also want it to be like I said at the beginning you know this is about fulfilling possibilities for yes the client but also mm. the clinicians and you know where where do you see yourself going in your vehicle so this might be you know a little bicycle on the side but it could be something more than that in the future we don't know um but if we help if we can help you as clinicians open your eyes to new possibilities to new ways of doing things to be with the team you know and our whole associate team support each other on whatsapp um just to be with like-minded professionals um you know, it's, it's really good fun wonderful I, I I love watching your story Heather and I I'm going to continue to watch with great interest and I am going to conclude this podcast with the cheesiest way to <laughs> this metaphor to its nth degree so you mentioned a DeLorean I'm about the same age as you I watched Back to the Future at least 17 times so I'm going to quote that I think Heather you did buy a DeLorean and uh going to quote Doc at the end and say that I think where design to move is going, you don't need roads. <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah, we're already <laughs> working on the next. <laughs> oh, it's it's really exciting to watch Heather. And um, yeah, I hope we hope we get to communicate more and more because I, I really love hearing what you're up to. And thank you so much again for coming in and telling another part of your story. Well, you. thank you for the opportunity. It's it's nice to hopefully enable other people to have a little bit of um learning from some of the stuff that I've had to go through too oh it'd be so useful encouragement thanks so much Heather talk again take care bye 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 what a great session with Heather I hope you enjoyed listening to her story and if you were in any way inspired to contact Heather maybe you see yourself as an associate a future associate with design to move or really got something to offer as a clinician then I really encourage you to to get in touch Heather is such an inspiring person and design to move is a really exciting business that um, is definitely going places Similarly, if you were listening and you are at the point of considering some kind of change or tweaking your career and you think you might like some coaching support, then do give me a call. You can contact me, you can book a call with me via the Mehab website, www.mehab.co.uk. And under the coaching tab, there's a button to book a free call with me to discuss what's going on for you and, and see if I can help at all. Okay, so that is it for now. I will go. Be- 
be back for the next session of You Matter. And as always, in the meantime, if you are a busy clinician looking after all people in all spheres of life, then do take a moment for yourself, breathe. You're allowed to do stuff that makes you happy too, because you matter. Thank mm-hmm. you.